You're listening to Recovery Survey, the podcast that shatters stigmas around different types of addictions and takes a deep dive into spiritual principles. I didn't believe I was worth it for a long time. I was like, you know, I need someone to come save me. You know, nobody loves me. I'm alone in this. And the hardest pill I ever just had to swallow was realizing that I have to save myself. No one's coming for me. No one's going to be like, here's the magic pill. You're never going to be an addict again. I had to do all that work. My guest today is named Antoinette LaFauci, and she is a drug and alcohol counselor. She's here today to tell us about her recovery journey. Welcome to the show. All right. So my name is Antoinette LaFauci, and uh, spoiler alert, I'm an addict. I'm super excited to be here. I usually don't like starting off that I'm an addict because that's like the first thing people like cling to. But I don't want to be like, I'm awesome and I'm a part-time superhero and a grad student and, you know, all these amazing things. But that's what I usually tell my clients. I'm like, go in, be like, this is my name. These are all the amazing things I do. And I'm an addict because I never want people to just cling to that as the first thing they hear. I am an addict, but I'm a grad student. I'm a ghostwriter. Uh, It's pretty well known in my community. Uh, I'm a full-time drug and alcohol counselor. So I found my passion and my love. Uh, unfortunately grad school is not focusing on, on addiction right now, but I'm focusing on veterans to go into addiction. You see the theme here. You got this. Yeah. So a little bit about me. I started using when I was 13 years old, you know, like most addicts, I was abused in, you know, every capacity available. Trauma is the first drug that I ever uh, had my hands on. So someone was like, hey, do you want to smoke this weed? And I was like, yes, yes, I do. Uh, But it was laced with PCP and I was off to the races. And I always joke the first time I got high, uh, my best friend was like, hey, you should go around to City Pizza and flash Gilkin. Now City Pizza is this pizza place in South Philly that has big wide windows. So you can watch them like make pizza. And I'm like knocking on a door and I lift my shirt up and hand to God, my shirt up was for like about two minutes. No one had the good grace to be like, hey, put your tits away. I'm like, anybody noticing yet? Finally, my best friend was like, you should, you should put that. So I'm like, right, right. And that was it. That was like, I became the goofy friend the real spontaneous friend, you know, the one that will do anything because she's fun. When in reality, I was the closeted addict that was railing, you know, quaaludes any way I could get them, smoking, drinking, drugging. And no one knew they were just like, you're so weird and fun. And I'm like, I'm dying inside. (laughs) Like someone come help me. (laughs) So I went to rehab at 13. It didn't stick. Um, why lie? It stopped for like a minute. I was clean for maybe like eight, nine months and then I'd relapse. And then I go back in and I'd be good for eight or nine months and then I'd relapse. And I did that up until I was like 19. And I thought I was clean. I was like, I'm so clean, man. Nobody can touch me. And then I gained all this weight from being clean. So I was like, I'm going to do these diet pills. I'm going to lose 20 pounds overnight and no one's going to be able to tell me shit. I'm going to be so cute. And I didn't, spoiler alert, lose any weight immediately. So I was like, you know, it'll do this perks. Perks will make me skinny again. And boom, back off to it. And then 
when I was 19, my best friend, who's like my sister, asked me to be godmother to her two babies at the time. And she was the only person new as an addict. And I was like, you realize I'm an addict, right? Like, <laughs> I can barely take care of myself. You want me to take care of two babies if something happens to you? And she's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. So I get the papers. I'm like signing them. I look myself in the mirror. I'm like Michael Jackson. And I'm like, you got to get your fucking shit together, homie. And I was like, you know, I can't take on the responsibility of two babies and be an addict. I got it. I got to get it together. So I used for like four more months. And then, you know, I sent the papers back and I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. I got this. I'm going to do it. And uh, I did like the assessment for rehab. And the night before I took everything in my house, it could have been NyQuil, Benadryl, don't care what it was. I took it all. And I said to God, I'm like, please, I don't want to wake up. Just like, take me. I don't want to be an addict anymore. I don't want to live like this. Just like put me out of my misery. And then I woke up and I was like, Fuck, I got to go fucking rehab. <laughs> I trudge in, you know, I got like the 25 ounce bottles of shampoo, conditioner, the body wash. I'm real bougie. They're like, you can't have any of this. I'm like, what? I'm like, so I have to be fat, ugly and, and withdrawing. I can't have anything with me. And they're like, no, you'll figure it out. And I went to like uh, a Christian rehab. So they were like making us pray. And I was so resentful and so angry. And I'm like, fuck God, he don't know me. He never helped me. And then like 90 days later, I'm like, thank you, Jesus. You are my savior. I am better because of you. Like I had a whole 180 and then came out and I did the 90 and 90. And I remember like my first NA meeting, I walk in and I'm like shaking, I'm crying. I can't like keep myself together. And my then sponsor who became my sponsor was talking to me and she was like, you know, you, you did good. Like you had the good grace to get addicted young. And then you had the good grace to get clean young. And I look her dead in the face. I'm like, I'm dying inside. I don't care what you think of my grace right now. And then she was my sponsor for like 10 years, <laughs> took me through the steps, made me do everything. And we joked that I went around and did my um, addict tour because no one knew I was an addict. So now I have to go back and make amends with people that had no idea I was using. I have to be like, hey, remember that time? Like I jumped from that tree and like almost broke my leg and we were laughing and I was like gushing blood. And I'm like, ha ah, leave me here. I'll walk it off. Yeah, I was high, very, very high like extremely high or the time I ran in front of the septa bus. Cause I thought I'd play chicken with it. And we all laughed like, ah, she's so goofy. Yeah. Also extremely high. <laughs> and they're like, oh, I never knew. I'm like, how, like, how are you missing the signs though? You know what I mean? Like I'm going into the bathroom every 20 minutes and coming back, like jazzed out of my mind. You know what I mean? Like you're bringing a six pack over and it's gone within an hour. If that, like, who did you think drank it? The dog? And it, like, it bothered me for like a long time. Like, it really bothered me. I was like, if you had seen it and if you had told me, then I would have gotten clean. When in reality, it was always me. It was my fault. It was my issue. No one, and even if someone was like, hey, I think you're an addict. I think you need to be clean. I'd be like, you don't know me. You don't know my life. I'm traumatized. You don't know anything. Because that was my excuse. I'm traumatized. And this is how I'm going to get through it. And when I officially got clean and sober, I said to myself, all right, I'm going to give myself a year. If I don't like it within a year, I'll go back to using. 
And I hit that year mark and I was like, this ain't so bad. <laughs> you know what? I'll give myself another year. And then two years turned into five and then 10. And I just hit 16 years in July. And I was like, what is life? Like if you had said the 13 year old Antoinette, you know what I mean? By the time you're 36, you'll have 16 years of sobriety. You'll be in grad school. You'll have your dream job. You'll have all these amazing relationships and, you know, you'll have found your soulmates and your tribe and you'll have family and friends that have been like, okay, you don't know anything. And now I'm 16 years in and I'm like, you can't pay me to use. I can, I can never go back to that. I'll lose everything. And I always say to my clients, like, you know, God gave me back everything I lost and some. And I lost my mom last April. And, uh, you know, I want to be part of the, like, you know, never club and, and, you know, never use again club. And it, it crossed my mind and it bothered me deeply. And I, like I, when I shared in my home group on my anniversary, I'm like, I didn't even want to use because I missed using. I want to use because I just want to not feel for five minutes because my mom is my everything. Like my, 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 the love of my life, like my biggest supporter, my hero, my fan, everything. And, you know, I'm sitting there and I'm like, you know how like we are as addicts, like you come, you contemplate and you're like, I'm through it. Like, well, a little bit won't kill me. But then in the back of my head, I'm like, you're going to wipe your ass with 16 years for what? For what? So you didn't feel because once you're done, you're going to feel all over again. Now you're going to be even more aggravated and angry at yourself that you used. So, you know, I was a good addict or whatever a good addict is supposed to be. And I reached out to people and I called my sponsor and I, you know, I was talking to my brother who's also in the program. He's an AA, but we ignore that. Um, <laughs> nothing against AA. We bust each other's balls all the time. And I said, you know, I, I, I don't want to use, I'm not going to, but the thought crossed my mind and that bothers me. So I need to process that. And, you know, thankfully I got past that and God willing, I'll, I'll have 17 years in July. And, the fact that I am now sober for longer than I've used is insane. And, you know, at the, at the end of the day, I'm always going to be an addict. You know, and I could wake up tomorrow and relapse. Hopefully I won't, you know, I'll, I'll use my support systems, but I'm always going to be that. And I always say to my clients, you know, we as addicts created the stigma of addiction. I'm in Philly. You can go to Kensington Ave. You can see it. There's open aired markets, you know, we, we created that stigma as recovering addicts. We now have to break that stigma. And there's nothing saying that we can't be the best people out there. It's not saying we can't be parents or husbands or wives or, you know, master degree students or doctors, lawyers, whatever it may be. And I, I really feel that for those still in the throes of addiction, they don't believe they're worth it. I didn't believe I was worth it for a long time. For a long time, I was like, you know, I need someone to come save me. You know, nobody loves me. I'm alone in this. And the hardest pill I ever just had to swallow was realizing that I have to save myself. No one's coming for me. No one's going to be like, here's the magic pill. You're never going to be an addict again. I had to do all that work. And once you put all that work in it, and a soul alive can touch me. <laughs> Can't nobody tell me shit. I made it out of trauma, addiction you know, out of the biggest nightmare I ever could have endured. Can't nobody touch me now. And I, you know, I want others to know that like, yeah, it's going to be hard. It's not a walk in the park. My first detox was three days unmedicated. 
I had a nurse knock on my door, go, you all right? You want some clean cheese? You need another thing to throw open? And I'm like, please just kill me. I don't want to do this anymore. And you would have thought that would scare me. Nah, no, I went back to rehab many more times. But, you know, once it's stuck, it's stuck. And I can't be happier to be where I am. I'm, I could not be prouder of where I am. And it's not easy. You know what I mean? I try to explain to the addict still suffering from the disease. Like it, once you get clean, like it's not easy, but it's worth it. I don't have to wake up tomorrow and wonder where I'm going to get my next, you know, hit. I don't have to wake up tomorrow and wonder, is my mom going to find, you know, my perks in, in my drawer and, and, you know, throw me out or disown me. I don't have to worry about anybody finding out that I'm an addict or, you know, having random men try to seduce me to give me like, you know, drugs. Like I can wake up tomorrow with a clear head and be like, all right, you know, I'm not using, I have a home group. I have a sponsor. I have people that love me. This isn't so bad. It, it is what it is at this point, but I'm, I'm happy to be here. And, and I give all of my thanks to NA for, for bringing me this far. So yeah, I'm an addict, but that's not all I am. So kind of rewinding a little bit, you mentioned you'd gone to multiple rehabs. What was it about that last one? I think you said it was the Christian rehab when you were around 19. What was different about that time as opposed to the previous times that you had gone to rehab? The previous times, like I knew I had to go, like I was like, you know, pacifying others like, oh, you know, I'll go, I'll get my life together. But I refused to admit that I had a problem refused. I was like, I just like partying or, you know, this is just how I cope. But then at like 1920, you know, someone handed me like the big book and, uh, this steps and it was like, step number one, admitting you have a problem. And I'm like, if I admit I have a problem, then I have to admit that I like failed at being an addict. (laughs) Like you're already failing. You're an addict. (laughs) Just admit you have a problem. And I talked to my best friend who made me like godmother of her kids. And I was like, do you think I have a problem? She's like, yeah, uh, you do. And I'm like, oh, all right. Then I guess like, you know, if you're saying it, then obviously I have one. And I just, you know, went in and was like, I do have a problem. I want to fix it. I'm going to give you shit every inch of the way. But like, I do need to like get over this hump. And also, I think I was, I was at a place in my life where I didn't want to suffer anymore. Like, I'm very much tired of this. And obviously, you know, my higher power woke me up to go to rehab. So <sighs> might as well give it a shot. Yeah, I think uh, at least for me personally, I think pain is a, a pretty good motivator when it comes to my recovery journey as far as getting clean or doing step work. I have uh, I struggle with procrastinating on step work and I'll just kind of sit around and and wait. And then eventually I'll get to a point where I'm uncomfortable or in pain. And then it's like, okay, it's time to get back on the step work. So I can, I can totally relate to what you're sharing. Like I, I, I'm always looking for that easier, softer route. And then eventually it's like, okay, I I need to put in some effort. Like this this is starting to suck. I got to do something different. Yeah. I, I did my first set of steps in 10 years. And then I took time off and now my sponsor's like, not forcing me, but she's like, it's, it's time to get back in there. I'm like, I don't want to, but all right. <laughs> you know, now I'm back on step four and who really wants to like inventory their shit? You know what I mean? No, I, I don't because in the back of my head, I'm like, well, I'm not using anymore. So I'm not that bad. 
You know what I mean? So it won't be, I don't have a lot of things to take inventory for that I'm taking. And I'm like, oh God, I'm an asshole. <laughs> like, I still have to do it. Like, all right, now I don't have to be like, oh, I stole $10 from my mom. But now I have to be like, hey, sorry, like I made you feel invalidated that moment. I was insecure and, you know, was hurting. So I had to hurt you. Now I have like a whole new set of reasons to make amends. It's awkward, but I'm going to do it. <laughs> yeah, I, I totally, I totally get you. I totally understand. Step four is, uh, can be very challenging. So you've, you've kind of alluded to where you're at now, but I'd be curious to hear more about it. Cause it sounds like you said you were in school. You've also mentioned patients and, and you working in a rehab type setting. What, what does your life look like today? It's, it's chaotic, but it's a good chaos. Like it's, it's the kind that keeps me motivated. Um, I'm a full-time grad student. I'm going to be finishing up my second year soon. And I'm majoring in a master's of science with mental health clinical counseling, which is just boggles my mind. I work as a full-time drug and alcohol counselor for an agency in Philadelphia, and I help clients get medical care. You know, I help them get housing, connect them to meetings. I'm really their, their in-between for things that they can't find, which gives me a lot of joy because you know, who doesn't want to help the still sick and suffering addict? Who doesn't want to watch someone's journey go from, I don't think I want to live to, I went to a meeting yesterday and this speaker was amazing and I have all this hope. That definitely sounds like it'd be a very rewarding career path to be able to help addicts in that way. I think that's kind of, that's kind of my hope for the podcast too. Like I'm not, my, my profession isn't anything to do with rehab or recovery or anything but like for me especially with the pandemic and everything that's been going on like this has kind of been a form of service i think for me and it helps me feel like i'm giving back and trying to still carry that message you know i still hold a service position in my home group but with the majority of our meetings being online i feel like i honestly don't really do that much uh so yeah i definitely can relate to like getting the the reward that I feel like from being able to, to be of service and help others. I appreciate that. You said that like being in service doesn't have to be these big fancy things. Like it could literally just be reading at your home group or making coffee, like even the little acts of service, like that's, those are things that like kept me going back to like meetings, like, Hey, do you want to make coffee? And I'm like, Oh, great. Now I got to come back. Cause you need coffee. But you know, like it made me, feel good because it's like, oh, I'm going to go, I'm going to make coffee and I'm, and I'm going to get a message out of it. But those are the things that like, you know, keep those doors open. And, and Zoom was, was difficult because I'm a very like, I need to be in meetings. I need people to hug me and see me. And it took me a while to not want to fall off. I'm like, well, who's going to hold me accountable? You know what I mean? From the, I'm not in a Zoom meeting, you can't really even see me. But then I started going to my home group and I was like, this is pretty cool. And I started going to a 24 hour zoom meeting that was like worldwide. And now I'm talking to like people in like Scotland and like Nigeria and, and I'm listening to all these different accents and all these people coming from different walks of life. And we all have the same purpose and it's just to stay clean another day, see another day, you know what I mean? And message is always the same. And that was like so humbling for me. 
because, you know, I'm an addict. I want to feel unique and special and no one understands me. And to hear someone with a Scottish accent, like, yeah, didn't drink last night. Feel good about today. I'm like, oh, brother, (laughs) let's be friends. (laughs) I'll come out to Scotland one day and visit. I've met a few people on the international meeting as well. I've had a couple of them on the podcast. As a matter of fact, I had a guy from uh, Ireland on towards the beginning of the podcast and uh, a few other English folks. And yeah, it's, it's been really incredible being able to connect with people all around the world that are part of the same fellowship. Like that's been, uh, I think that's kind of been the blessing in disguise of this whole move to online meetings. But I, I agree with you. Like I still miss like the physical contact, like our, my home group started to have a couple meetings a week in person, but most of the people are still like wanting to do social distancing and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, man, I just want to hug. Like, man, just come over and give me a hug. Like I'm not sick. It's okay. (laughs) I'm sick in a different way. I don't have COVID. Just come over and give me a hug. Yeah. I, 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 I can totally relate to everything you shared. So you've also kind of alluded to what you're working on for the future. As far as your degree, what are, what are your hopes and dreams? Like, what are you, what, what's the ultimate goal of, of you finishing school and where are you wanting to be? The ultimate goal is getting my doctorates, which I'm starting to look at doctoral schools now. And every time I do, I like, <laughs> I cry. Because <laughs> I'm so humbled at the fact that like this addict is looking at doctoral schools. Like I'm going to have, uh, it's going to be like Dr. LaFauci one day. And I'm like, <sighs> They say in your wildest dreams, and I'm out here like just grabbing at all of it. Um, until then, I'm going to complete my master's. I have a focus on veterans. I have a soft spot for veterans. I have a, a soft spot for people who have had, uh, ex, ex, you know, traumas of all sorts. I, I suffer from PTSD myself, and um, it it breaks my heart that our veterans come home to nothing. You know, what I mean, they they might be able to get into the VA. They might not. Me not, and they you know turn to drugs and alcohol to cope with their wartime mental illnesses, and I I want to get in there with them, and I you know I want to show them like you did a great service for your country, and like you haven't been forgotten about. Let me help you. Let me get you resources. Let me get you support any way I can. So the ultimate goal will be to work in the VA. Um, VA unfortunately doesn't take LPCs; they take uh, MSWs, which is Masters of Social Work but I've been signing petitions <laughs> since I left my undergrad. I'm like, please just let me come work for you. I'm really fun and I know what I'm doing. I'm sorry, I'm going to have an LPC. Just let me help one veteran, please. <laughs> so that's, that's the ultimate goal, you know, but, and then I'll probably get my doctorate and have no idea what to do with myself because I've been in school for the past 10 years. Like, uh, I don't... What do, what do I do after that? Is there anything higher than doctorate? Because I'll sign up for it. <laughs> I think that's when most people go back and get multiple degrees and stuff. I know a few people. Right. Just have, repeat have the that. process. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. I've known a few people that have done that. One of my dad's real close friends has a, has a doctorate. And I think he went back and got like three master's degrees. I'm like, what are you doing, man? Like, that's too much. Like, I, I feel like I barely passed high school. So, like, quit showing off. <laughs> <laughs> He's, like, wallpapering his house with his master degrees. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want to be on that level. Awesome. Well, we're kind of 
getting towards the end of the episode and I usually like to just open the floor up for the guests to share whatever is on their heart, whether it's on the topic of recovery or not. If you want to give a message to the newcomer, whatever that might be, um, you know, just the floor is yours to, to share that. I think it's important for the newcomer. I know we always say come back, you know, it works if you work it, but keep coming back. If you're using come back, if you're not using come back, let us love you. And I, and I know that love is foreign to some people, especially those that have suffered traumas and they feel like they're not worthy of the love and affection and are not worthy of the support, but please, please, please keep coming back. You know, I, I went into the rooms and I was broken and I was flawed and I didn't want to be there. And someone came up to me and said, you know, you're doing great. And I was like, I cried the entire meeting. What do you mean? I'm doing great. But it made me want to come back. You know, if you're using, don't feel like you can't come into those meetings. That's what we're there for. If you're not using, hug someone else tighter. You know what I mean? Even if you have two days, you can still be an inspiration. You can still be a hope. I'll have 17 years and I still learn from people that have 24 hours. I still learn from people that have 90 days or 10 years. Like, keep spreading that hope. Just keep coming back because we do need you. You know, I, I've lost everyone I ever used with and I think about them every day and I want to continue spreading that hope because I know if they were still here, they'd be doing it too. I love that, that message, that, that, that hope shot. That's, that's beautiful. So if the listeners are interested in getting a hold of you, if they want to follow your journey to wallpapering your house with your different degrees, um, where can they find you at on social media? I'm on Instagram. I have like a, it's kind of like personal, kind of not personal, but I'm very like fat positive and very like mental health positive and very mental health aware and, and recovery awareness. They can follow me on Instagram. It's dollface underscore vendetta. Awesome. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the show today, sharing with, with me and the audience about your journey, about the struggle, about everything that you've gone through. I, I, I know that somebody's going to hear that and they're going to get that that little bit of hope that they need to, to push through and, and hopefully, you know, continue on their journey and recovery. So thank you for taking time out of your day and, and being willing to come on here and, and share. It was absolutely all my pleasure. I could not have been happier to be here and I'm just so stoked that I, I got to be a part of this in your wildest dreams. Look at me on a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Antoinette, thank you so much for coming on the show today and sharing your journey with us and telling us about the work you're doing with alcoholics and addicts in the Philadelphia area. I'm excited to see what the future holds for you, and I know you're going to do a lot of great work in the veteran community. So thank you again for coming on the show today. You've been listening to Recovery Survey. If you got anything out of today's episode, I'd ask you to please leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can find us at recoverysurvey.com. You can listen to all of our episodes on the website as well as connect with us on social media where you can get previews for upcoming episodes.